My guest this week is John Wall, co-host of the Marketing Over Coffee podcast and partner at Trust Insights. We talk about AI. It's not all Skynet and Terminators. It can help you grow your business and enhance your marketing. John explains how. Welcome to episode 244 of the Marketing and Finance podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plug in me and my guests into your earphones, especially at this time of COVID crisis where there's so much else battling for our attention. So thank you again. What does artificial intelligence mean to you? (laughs) To be perfectly honest, if somebody mentions it to me, my first thought is Skynet and the Terminator. But actually, artificial intelligence is is just a computer program, but it sometimes gets hyped up quite a lot, doesn't it? So I'm really pleased that my guest this week, John Wall, makes it really easy to understand and demonstrates to us how we can use it to make our marketing more efficient and to help grow our businesses. So let's get straight into that interview with John right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. John, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Oh, thank you, Roger. I'm glad to be here. John, tell me, where are we Zooming each other from now? I'm in Edinburgh, UK, as always. Uh, I am in Massachusetts, uh, over in the States, the uh, western side of the state, so Berkshire County, um, and a small college town called Williamstown. So I'm, uh, yeah, off in the woods. <laughs> now, John, you are the host of a fascinating podcast that's been around for quite a long time. In fact, it's been around since 2007, so I'm pretty much guessing that it must have been one of the first podcasts to hit the mainstream. That podcast is called Marketing Over Coffee. You also have other other jobs and other roles, and you're particularly interested at the moment in doing quite a lot of work in the area of artificial intelligence. And I thought it'd be really interesting for us to take a little bit of a dive into that today. But before we get to that, John, give me a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from, how your career developed, basically what makes John Wall tick. Yeah, sure. So, I, you know, the recurring theme through my whole life has been using technology to help people. You know, I, I'm always the, the geek at home that gets the rest of the family going on all of their devices. And yeah, I had my first computer was a TRS-80 when I was a, a young kid. And um, studied economics at university and then uh, was actually in the insurance industry for five years. And during that time, uh, it became you know, the big thing to start using email and a bunch of technology tools. And I was quickly pulled over into technology. Um, the first trip I'd made over there was a company that did events for tech. So like database marketing world and the first CRM event that ever happened was through the company that I had worked with. And so from there, I did... God, I'm, I think I'm on my seventh tech startup. I've been, you know, from startup to startup. And along the way in 2007, as you mentioned, we started marketing over coffee because Christopher Penn just lived a town away from me. And we were both doing podcasts. We actually both started podcasting back in 2005. Wow. But we realized that, you know, doing something in marketing and tech, yes, we were early in that. And we were able to be the first one there. And then over time, 
you know, the podcast got more successful. And then about two years ago, Chris decided to spin off um, from the PR agency he was at to do marketing analytics full time. And about six months into that, I joined him over there. Um, and so it's great. Now the podcast is basically my full-time gig. It's the best marketing program we do for Trust Insights, the company that we're at. And yeah, that's where I got to uh, from you know where I'm at today. A couple of things occurred to me just listening to that. You mentioned the TRS-80. My goodness, I don't think I'll have I've thought about one of those for probably 20 odd years, but I used to have a TRS-80 and uh, there used to be an amazing version of Space Invaders available for it. I mean, I I was always a tech geek from when I was young as well. When I was at school, when I was um, uh, doing my O-levels, as we call them here in the United Kingdom, one of the science teachers had a machine, which I believe was called a Research Machines 380Z which may well even have predated the TRS-80. So that's a bit of a a geeky blast from the past. And and the other thing that I'm really, really interested in, and and, uh, I think this is quite a nice little story, is that I didn't get into podcasting as early as you did, but I was quite early in terms of UK. I started by launching my first podcast in 2011. And although I've been a marketing guy all of my life, I've also been a fitness instructor and yoga teacher. And I launched a podcast in 2011 called Group Fitness Over Coffee. And it was intended to be a like a test bed. So I would learn how to use Libsyn, learn how to use Audacity and that sort of thing, and learn how to promote a podcast. And it was fully my intention to create a whole series of podcasts with subject over coffee. And and the second podcast I wanted to launch was a marketing one. So I went, great, I'm going to launch a podcast called Marketing Over Coffee. So of course I went onto the internet to see if anybody else was doing it. And oh no, here was, here was somebody I wasn't going to have a chat with for another seven years has already done that. So I had to had to think of another name and this podcast eventually became the marketing and finance podcast. And, uh, I, I guess history is history. I, I, this has become my focus. This has become what I've become known for in the United Kingdom and now more across the world. So, but I just love that little tenuous connection between ourselves going back all those years when I thought I'd come up with a great name for a podcast. Yeah, that's funny to have a listener come to us via as a competitor, you know, thinking about coming on board. It's yeah, it's funny. It's an easy match. But now we actually it is a bit of a an issue for us in that we get tons of inquiries from coffee companies and people that are trying to sell coffee. And we have to explain to them that, yeah, no, that's not exactly what we're about. Oh, I get it there. So they think it's a a podcast about marketing coffee. (laughs) That's quite funny. That's quite funny. So obviously you've been doing marketing over coffee for a long time, since 2007. You must have seen a massive amount of change in the marketing landscape since then. And, And what's fabulous about the fact that you've had the podcast is that you will have been documenting all of those changes and all of those trends in marketing over that period of time. As I said, I've been a marketing guy for my entire career and and I tend to get quite grumpy because I'm also an older, older guy. And I tend to get quite grumpy that these days when we talk about marketing, a lot of the companies now just refer to it as the communications bit, you know, the email or the content or the advertising or the promotion I don't feel as if the marketing profession talks enough about the other parts of the marketing mix, if you want to use traditional language, 
the product, the research, the price and all of that sort of thing. Is that an observation that you have or, or is there another big trend that you've noticed over the years that you've been doing this podcast? Yeah, there's a very clear line that we see and it, it hasn't, well, it's changed a bit over the, the past decade, but there's a real bright dividing line in that there's kind of marketing people who do the communications thing and are running ads and doing that. But then there's the, another group that does cross over and they're doing the product marketing stuff. You know, they're actually involved with what the product should be and they're bridging that gap between what they see in the market and they're the voice of the customer mm-hmm. and that drives right into the product. So yeah, there's a real dividing line. If you, if you stay to that communication side, you know, you will always be able to find work, but you're never going to be, you know, a major C-level executive at a company or holding the reins. You know, you're always sure. going to be looking to approval to somebody else to, to run programs. Whereas, yeah, we'd like to really push everybody to go to the other side of that fence and think of marketing as a path to becoming a CEO, you know, be involved with the product and help drive the business by building the best thing, because that's really the easiest way to go. If you can build a fantastic product, suddenly everything downstream becomes much easier. Mm. You know, the nightmare for a marketing person is having to sell something that, you know, a product, you know, is second rate or, you know, causes health problems or whatever. Those are tough gigs to have. So if you can cross over and stay on that product side, uh, it's, it's much more fulfilling and there's a lot more opportunity. Yeah, I think unfortunately, to a certain extent, if all you do is the communications bit, and and I'm not belittling anybody who does just work in that part of the uh, of the process, but I think if you all you do is focus on the communications bit, then almost it's almost devaluing the marketing profession, and and I would seriously encourage people who maybe only focus on the communications bit to maybe go away and get some training or learn a bit more about the full marketing mix and and start talking about product and start talking about uh, pricing and distribution and research and positioning and all of those academic terms which perhaps sometimes scare people off because it's such a rich discipline and you know, I, I think to genuinely be able to communicate in an engaging way with the end customer, you really have to be involved in all of those different parts of the process. Because as you say, if all you do is communicate, then you may end up communicating the wrong message. And perhaps the world that we're currently living in, and we're, we're into week two of lockdown now because of coronavirus, and I apologise for using the C word, but hey, it's a matter, it's a, it's a way of life for us at the moment. What I'm seeing at the moment is a lot of communications just being sent, sent out by marketing people, almost just saying nothing. Hey, we know you're struggling with coronavirus. This is what we've done to help our company. And I'm thinking, well, that's fine. But, you know, what are you doing to tweak your product? What are you doing to qu- tr- tweak your position that might help me as a customer? What, what have you seen happening in, um, in your space around this, John? Yeah, that's so funny you mentioned that. I saw an article a couple of days ago, somebody saying, wow, I didn't realize all these companies cared so much about me. I'm getting all these coronavirus emails. And it's so true. And yeah, it, it's a great highlight on, you know, are you focused on what you do? And are you kind of bragging about your baby pictures? Or do you really have the customer's best interest in mind? And I, this is something that we thought about with marketing over coffee a lot. And it's the fact that, well, if we don't have anything that's going to change what you're doing today and help you out of this crisis it's really best for us to just sit back and just stay quiet for a little while. You know, if if there's nothing that is, you know, if I'm not going to be able to get you more toilet paper, I probably don't need to be sending you a message about 
you know, a 10% off sale right now. Mm -hmm. That's just, you know, not something that's going to be of any value. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of people that are kind of running around in a panic and sending a lot of stuff. I think the big thing, and we can kind of treat this like any other kind of economic downturn, the big things to do, or this is your chance to finally, you know, you have some time to do some training or digging into your product and, you know, fixing all those things that you never had the time to fix before because Mm -hmm. too much was going on. And it's also a time where you can really step up and work with your partner vendors. You know, there's a lot of people canceling business and stepping down. You can go to your vendors now and say, look, I can, you know, I can only do 30% of what we've done in the past or 50% but you can lock in those deals now and you're going to be a champion. You know, yeah. six months from now, people are going to remember that when everybody else was running away, you stepped up and, you know, kept things afloat for a little while. Um, and of course, you know, you've got to have the war chest set aside for that. Hopefully you've been successful enough to do that and have the foresight to do it. But yeah, the, it's a huge opportunity really. If, um, you know, if you manage to dodge the health uh, emergency that we have, it's a chance to step up and invest and, make yourself better prepared for when things do get back to normal. So let's talk a little bit more about Trust Insights. And you've been doing quite a lot of work on artificial intelligence. So let's dig a little bit into that, John. Now, again, I think one of the things that strikes me as a a marketing person is that, and, and I'm just as guilty as this as a lot of people, is I tend to get seduced by the latest shiny toys, you know, everybody's talking about house party this week. So of course I went and downloaded it yesterday and, oh, look, it's, it's just another sort of Snapchatty type thing. So, but everybody's talking about house party or it may be some, some new gizmo that you put into the house, some voice activated things. So, so marketers are always attracted to new shiny toys. And, and again, the danger is that you, 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 dive straight into the tactics of using those shiny toys before you've actually done the strategic work to work out how it fits in with your customer proposition and and the product that you're selling. Now, some people might say, oh, AI, artificial intelligence, is just something that we've been talking about for the last few years, and it's the latest shiny toy. But that's not really true, is it? AI has been around for a lot longer than a lot of people think. Yeah, absolutely. So the the term artificial intelligence was created in 1956 by a bunch of academics uh, that had come out of Dartmouth and MIT. And so we've always had this term. And the idea is just that, you know, computers will be able to think and, you know, make decisions based on data. And at that point, the academics knew that, hey, we don't have the computing power to do this, but at some point it will come and they were already prepared for that. But AI has really kind of become this rolling term for the stuff that we think computers will be able to do in about five years. Mm. And so that's really, you know, it it continues to change and morph and just get slapped on the next shiny object, just like you talked about. And so, you know, 20 years ago, people were talking about using artificial intelligence to read all the content on the web. And, you know, that's true. That is what happened. But of course, along the way, we came up with search engine optimization and search engine, you know, pages and we don't think of that as AI anymore. So yeah, AI is kind of always a rolling thing. But it, the interesting thing is in the past five years with a lot of cloud computing and other solutions, that kind of massive processing power is finally available to just about everybody at an affordable price, which it's never been before. Yeah, and I, I guess as well, the man on the street probably has this in, image in their head, you know, artificial intelligence is basically Skynet, isn't it? And Skynet's going to send the Terminator back in time um, because of the horrible future that's coming that's coming up ahead. And that's not really what it is. It's not 
creating robots and creating all this science fiction stuff. It's just processes to help us offer better experiences to our customers. Yeah, absolutely. A good example I like to throw around is an artificial intelligence machine learning algorithm that works for diagnosing types of cancer. You know, a doctor can you know, look at someone, a patient that's got a problem and they're basing it on, you know, if you're lucky, maybe somebody who's got 20 years of experience and read thousands of journals. But if we can take your test results and feed it into an algorithm that has read every medical journal for the past 35 years and understands the test results from every single, you know, test from hundreds of thousands of patients, the doctor now has, you know, kind of superpowers. The doctor can go in and, and find things that, you know, maybe this case only happens one out of every I mean, it could be one out of every two or three billion, you know, something incredibly rare, mm. but they have perfect recall because they've got some computing power behind them. So, yeah, the, the whole joke of, well, it's not a joke. The whole idea and fear of a Terminator is kind of silly when you think about it. <laughs> you know, the idea of that is, you know, could you really build some kind of huge computer program that, you know, A, will run perfectly on its first attempt, which, it, you know, anybody who's done a software development knows how ridiculous that idea is. And then crossing the line to make something self-aware where it actually starts to make decisions on its own. And I could go on forever about that. But really, <laughs> one thing that is key is that I don't see general intelligence happening and self-awareness happening at all in an AI that's built by a single company. Mm. Because it's just a single company can't do it. It can't do enough training. And then, of course, you know, in any company over the course of like three years, you have employee turnover and you know, there's nobody left who understands even how the thing is built or what the algorithm actually does. And you just kind of reach a point where you can't prove it anymore. The majority of people who listen to my show, John, are, I would say, small to medium-sized businesses. Quite a lot of them are startup businesses or maybe even one-man bands, one-woman bands. How do we how do we integrate AI into smaller companies who may be thinking, well, I just haven't got the budget for this or I don't need this? I think you've you've got you've got some ideas around this, haven't you? And and you, you said to me before we hit record, you've got five main points that you like to talk about when it comes to AI. Uh, there, there's another divider here. It's you know, like if you really wanted to, you could go out and figure out how to use Python in our studio and churn through huge piles of data yourself. But you, you, know, you don't have to go down that route. The kind of easiest applications that you can start using today are just use a bunch of tools that are already processing huge volumes of data and just give you the results and reports. Easy fruit to pick, you know, the, the scraping the cream off the top, whatever you want to call it, is Google Analytics. Mm. You know, you can set up Google Analytics for your web properties. You can set up goals. And now you can monitor, you know, even if you're getting thousands of or millions of hits per month, you can have insights brought to you as far as, okay, these are the most popular pages. This is the path that people tend to take through the site. And you can optimize against that. Um, Another easy application is uh, a lot of the search engine optimization software. They've gone out and are basically spidering the web almost at the same level as Google. Some of the best providers out there are just, you know, grabbing billions and billions of pages every day. And you can go and look and say, okay, so here's the terms that I score for. Here's my five competitors. This is where their traffic is coming from. And that can give you some insight as to what kind of content to create to get more traffic, get more leads, close more deals. So yeah, there's a lot of ways to apply tools. Just the five that we kick around the most are text mining, you know, just being able to churn through huge piles of data, network graphing to be able to see how people interact and who the influencers are within a crowd of people. Mm -hmm. 
data clustering is big for search engine optimization. So instead of just trying to score for a single term, you can look at batches of terms because we know that Google does semantic ranking of terms. You know, it puts things in bundles. And so by working on five terms, you're actually way better off than just trying to optimize for a single one. Um, driver analysis is big. That's where we talk about attribution. If anybody's into that, you know, the study of which marketing programs are actually getting your leads to the finish line and where should you be spending your next dollar. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is forecasting. You know, if you have enough data over the past five years, you can make some pretty um, solid predictions as to what's going to happen over the next 12 months. And that can give you a real advantage. You know, you want to be advertising and creating content on the things that are going to be big two weeks from now, Mm. as opposed to, you know, nobody wants to hear about Christmas deals in March. You know, that's, (laughs) I mean, that content is still good and we'll still get you some SEO, but if you're doing the Christmas stuff, you know, mid November, you're teeing it right up so that it's hot and at its peak when the audience is there. Can we maybe dig a little bit deeper into two of those? The second one was the the networking um, idea and then the attribution one. I think I'm interested in both of those. There's a lot of talk about influencer marketing at the moment. And again, potentially that's one of the shiny toys that we referred to before. But I think everybody is is interested in identifying what's working best and then focusing their attention on that particular area. So maybe could you give me a bit more about the networking side and the attribution side? Yeah, sure. So for network graphing, like one application that we've seen is is great is looking at single events. Mm-hmm. And the classic measurement of that is people are just looking at, oh, how many followers do I have and how many likes do I get for my posts? And so that's where you get some of this froth of influencer. You know, you hear people paying $250,000 for six Instagram posts you know, that supposedly go to millions and millions of people. But then when you dig deeper and you see the engagement, you're like, oh, well, you know, for having gone out to 5 million people, this thing only has a thousand likes and maybe 25 comments. And so, you know, you're not getting any real bang for your dollar there. Hmm. Uh, The way that we look at some of that stuff is that it's just like the search engines. You don't look at who's got the most traffic and who's in front. You look at how many people point to that content yeah. and say that it's a resource. It's getting the reference from the rest of the world is what gives you what counts. So like we're able to create from events reports that show, okay, here's the top 10 most influential people because they have the most people pointing to them. And it's also interesting that that analysis at the same time will also highlight which accounts are fake. Yeah. You can see the accounts that are you know, posting every hour on the hour, yet have no replies or no human interaction. And it becomes very clear, you know, there's accounts you'll know that you're like, there's no point in us trying to engage this account because they never actually replied. You know, there's not really a human behind it. Yeah. And the real gold there is we find these accounts that are like down in the, if you took the whole stack and break it down by deciles, down around the, in the 70% mark, you'll find these accounts that maybe they only have a thousand or 2000 followers, but they're kind of the tastemakers. They're the folks that their fans all watch them because they're on the cutting edge and they share all their stuff. Mm. And down at that point, you know, you can pay one-tenth of what you'd pay for a top 10 account. So that kind of analysis really helps figure out, you know, who the, the you know, who influences the results, not just who's branded as an influencer. So that's big. And then, yeah, it's the same thing with attribution. You know, instead of Twitter accounts, we look at all of your marketing programs. And yeah. the, the great thing with machine learning is we don't just look at, okay, here's the five things you've done. We just look at everything. Here's all your website traffic. Here's everything you've spent. And rank and rate those and look at, okay, so here's, you know, the five things 
that most prospects come in and hit before they go to a completed deal. And in the past, it was all triggered by closed deals. You know, you could really only do win analysis. But now with machine learning, we're actually able to go and just grab everybody. And so we can validate, you know, you can see that, okay, so this marketing program here, you know, 80% of the closed deals went through that gate. But maybe you dig even further and find out, well, no, actually all the web traffic tends to go through that gate. So that doesn't really affect whether or not it's going to close or not. Mm -hmm. You know, it's great content for driving traffic and you keep working it, but it's actually not something that indicates whether a deal is going to close or not. So you can dig in a little deeper and find some of those programs that maybe there's actual things that you're doing and you can say, ah, okay, when somebody does this marketing program right here, you know, we know that they've got a a 50% better chance of becoming a closed deal. So that's where we want to, you know, let's push more ads behind that and drive more traffic to it because that's what might actually get us more stuff over the finish line. I think another of the issues that we have these days is, again, because there are so many different potential communications channels, and, and I guess we've, we've come back to the conversation now about marketing being the communications bit, but it can be quite confusing for a lot of people. Oh, I need to be on Twitter. I need to be on Snapchat. I need to be on whatever it might be. We need to be doing banner ads. We need to be doing Google ads. We need to be on Facebook, etc. cetera. And, and, and you can't do everything. And again, going back to what we said earlier, if you've done the research, you've, you've identified your customer, who is your customer and where, where are they hanging out? Where do they consume their material? That's going to give you a good indication as to where you should commun- be communicating with them. And, and I guess this is the sort of information that's absolute gold does for people to enable them to make those sorts of decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right on the mark talking about the shiny object problem. You know, we've found that um, and a great piece of research on this is uh, the book Traction by Gabriel Weinberg and Justin mm-hmm. Maersk. They actually found, you know, there's 19 different channels as far as social, sales, you know, communications, PR, all this stuff. But of those 19, as a small business, you want to pick three of them and just test those three. You don't want to spread your money all over the place because what they found was that of those three, hopefully you hit on at least one of them. And the best investment you're going to get is if you find one channel that works, you want to mine that channel as hard as you can and as deeply as you can because there's economies of scale. Like say Facebook ads is your number one source. After four months of doing Facebook ads, you're going to be way more effective than anybody who's just throwing down, you know, money every month and not doing any optimization. Mm -hmm. You know, you learn the tricks to be able to get the most for your spend. And so that's kind of the framework that we suggest is like you pick the three, you try and see which one will be a hit. And then if one beats the other two, you actually just cut the other two off and stop. Mm. You put as much money as you can into the successful channel and then pick two other ones to test. And so that idea of having three channels going at all times is a good way to scale your business up. And then if you're fortunate enough, you know, once you hit a point where you know a channel is profitable, you know, it, it beats your you're making more than your customer long-term value or the cost of acquisition. You can make it a permanent channel. And then that's when you start to look at, you know, you add staff on that channel, people who are experts at that specific thing, because that will give you another lift in the return on that. You know, for smaller businesses, it's a whole lot to throw on your plate, but you really have to, you know, constantly be doing that. You want to have your time split half between working on the product and the other half on finding and mapping these customers, because in the long run, you've got to have that flow of prospects and customers if you want to win. And tell me how Trust Insights fits into all of this, John. What are you doing to help people? Yeah, so Trust Insights, we 
light up dark data. You know, that's kind of what we're all about. Um, Christopher Penn and his partner at uh, Shift Communications, Katie Robert, about three years ago, were doing a lot of marketing analytics on PR, you know, specifically measuring what was working in, in PR campaigns. And they reached a point where they realized, you know, we don't have to limit this just to PR. I mean, this works for all marketing channels across the board. And so they created Trust Insights and spun it off. And then I had been working with Christopher for years of marketing over coffee. So I was familiar with what they had been done and was already, you know, selling uh, ad inventory against marketing over coffee. And so I started working with them about six months in to help find customers and, and get things going. So there's really three major categories for us. You know, there's this machine learning. We take pretty much any data sets that people have and give them actionable insight. You know, like where should we be moving your money around to get the the most return on the dollar. And then uh, predictive analytics is the other big one for us to be able to go in and say, okay, so you know, you're know, you a cheese manufacturer. You need to be ready to go with cheddar three weeks before Thanksgiving. And you need to have halloumi ready to go because it's a grillable cheese. So that's got to be ready to go by May or June. So you're ready to go. And delivering that kind of actionable insight. And then the third part is to do any of that cool stuff. You've got to have clean data. And you know, so many companies have a whole patchwork of different tools and there's, you know, getting to clean data is a challenge pretty much for everyone. We've never seen anybody that says, oh yeah, no, actually my data is right where I want it to be. Everything's fantastic. Like everybody has, you know, some people only need to do a little bit of tune up. Others need to get everything wired together and working. Um, but yeah, that in itself is a, and it's just great for us and that, you know, we've seen the problems over and over again. We kind of know that, okay, yeah, this tool and that tool, we've, patch those together in the past. And so our clients don't have to go through that learning curve of trying to figure out how to string everything together. We can save them time and money just by engaging us for a few hours. It's stuff that would take them days or weeks to do. Fantastic. John, we've covered quite a lot of ground today, and I suspect that we could carry on talking for quite a long time. But trying to bring the conversation towards an end now, what would you say was the one big thing that you would like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast to take away from all the experience you've had with marketing over coffee and the various companies and startups that you've been you've been involved with. Yeah, I th- the biggest thing is what we had just talked about with traction. This idea of fifty fifty. You know, spending half your time optimizing content and working on your your marketing programs, but spend the other half of your time on the product. You know, try and if if they don't let you near or touch the product at all right now, at least make it your goal that over the next six months you're going to be involved in something. You know, involving pricing or surveying customers or doing customer service so that you can get yourself over onto the product side and are actually becoming an expert on, you know, what works. And, uh, you know, you're not just firing out press releases every week, invest in yourself and uh, work in the long term because ultimately you want to get to a point where you're driving the product and, you know, you're indispensable to the product itself. You don't want to be somebody where they can just say, okay, let's go get, you know, a 10 year younger communication person because <laughs> we can't afford you right now. Um, plug yourself in and become an expert in your niche and in your product. And that's what will give you the best long-term success. That is such good advice. And I absolutely get behind it because I absolutely agree with it. John, thank you so much for coming on the show. Before we go, just let everybody know if they want to get in touch with you, what is the best way to connect? Yeah, the easiest way, just swing on over to marketingovercoffee.com. We have our most popular episodes link over there. You can check out some past shows uh, or on Twitter, John J. Wall. I've always loved to hear from folks about what they've got going on for programs. And yeah, it's a great way to connect. John, thanks for coming on the show. It's been great to talk to you. Every time I finish the Marketing and Finance podcast, I always say to people, let's grab a coffee, a real coffee in person sometime in the future. Given the lockdown and given the fact there are 3,000 miles 
of ocean between us. Probably not going to happen in the near future, but you never know. One day we may be able to grab that actual marketing over coffee together. That sounds great, Roger. Yeah, I would love to do that. I would love to spend some time in the UK and that would be fantastic. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.